The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Squatbox. U.S. inflation slows for the first time since August, but the closely watched data sends mixed signals with both the headline and the core prints coming in above expectations. Wall Street closes in the red with steep losses for the Nasdaq. Apple shares lead declines as the tech giant loses its crown as the world's most valuable company. Disney shares slip in extended trade despite reporting stronger subscriber numbers for Disney+. Plus. But the entertainment giant's CFO warns the rate of growth may slow in the second half. Volkswagen CEO Herbert Diess responds to criticism over his call for a negotiated settlement in Ukraine, telling CNBC on the sidelines of a product launch that the automaker is not solely putting business interests first. Volkswagen is one of the first companies stopping our production and I uh, promoted or let's say I, I was always in favour of strong sanctions, no, right from the start. Uh, but uh, sanctions to get back to, to negotiations and not, not to, to let the war uh, continue. So, very good morning, everybody. Was it everything you expected to be, uh, this inflation number? It certainly spooked the equity markets, but when you looked at both the headline and the core, well, was it any different, really, to what the markets had anticipated? I know we were a few uh, percentage, uh, sorry, basis points here or there different from the uh, headline expectation. And yet, in reality, I think the number came in pretty much within the range of expectations. So why the large reaction in markets? Well, let's get into the detail. U.S. consumer prices then slowing in April, the headline print coming in at 8.3% year on year. So that was more than the 8.1% expected by the analysts, but only marginally. The data marking the first annual pullback since last August, that halting months of consecutive 40-year highs. Now, core inflation, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, dipped to 6.2% on a year-on-year basis, also higher than expected. Analysts say the reprieve is likely to be temporary, with the prices of fuel, food and global goods climbing again. Energy was up 30% last month on a year-on-year basis. Used and new vehicle inflation was also up double digits, while food inflation neared 10%. So did it change the narrative from the Fed speakers? Well, no, it didn't. Bullard continues to talk about the need for a 50 basis point move. Even Raphael Bostic was suggesting that, yes, I don't see why 50 is not a good idea at this point. I paraphrase, of course. So ultimately, in terms of changing the narrative around inflation and interest rates, no significant movement from those Fed speakers, and yet we got the market sell-off. And the administration is owning the problem. The White House has called inflation, quote, unacceptably high, underscoring the urgency of the Fed to act now. 
And the Fed has a difficult job. There's a lot of uncertainty. The pandemic is not quite over. We have the Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine. We've got uh, the, the China's response to the latest wave of COVID with their shutdowns. It looks like they're still managing to move uh, shipments around in different ports to manage through their COVID policy. But we're anticipating that that may have some impact on supply chains going forward. We have been discussing the potential for a miss on the numbers and what that would do for the markets. I think what you had still, a lot of nerves out there. Investors are leaning into the messaging that we're still sizing up 50 basis point rate hikes again from the Fed. Some hope that uh, potentially we may see enough cooling that it would avert the worst case scenario. But I think even those that had been more hopeful, more optimistic around monetary policy not being too aggressive, just finally caved yesterday. And you could see NASDAQ again falling like clock those big tech names are down more than 3%. The S&P 1.6 plus percent down, slightly more contained as you can see on the Dow versus the NASDAQ, but still quite a significant reversal in the uh, scheme of things given we've had so much selling on these major indices. And if you look at what that now means for the month of May, this might have been the one some had hoped would snap the losing streak so far this year. The NASDAQ down 8% so far in May and more than 25% so far this year. So significant pain felt in that tech sector. Let me take you to Treasuries next. And you can see how the bond market reacted. The yield this morning, we're at 2.90. There are some concerns still that we may be facing a challenge to longer term growth. And that's just taken the shine off this uh, year which has taken us down away from that 3% mark. The short end, 2.65, is where we are approached at this stage. I want to take you to the uh, big tech names, and you can see how they fared in trade yesterday. Of the big ones, Apple, that was the one we noted, and we'll take a close look at that in just a moment, down 5.1%. Netflix shedding 6.3%. We had some better news from Disney about its subscriber numbers. Of course, I think there's been real question marks over the entire industry after Netflix set the scene around the loss of subscribers. But a bit of a pushback from Disney Plus and its service. Amazon, 3.2% down. But again, you can see the big outsized falls on the big momentum names, the likes of Tesla falling more aggressively than other parts of the market. And this was reflected in the FANG stock performance. FANG Plus stocks fell just over 3% in line with the NASDAQ. But the ARK Innovation Fund yesterday down 10%. So significant setback there again on those momentum names. And I mentioned Apple in that 5 plus odd percent slump. That's changed the fortunes of the company versus another major player, Saudi Aramco. In fact, uh, that stock now the largest or the most valuable company in the world at 2.426 trillion versus 2.415 for Apple. A little bit like the old days, isn't it? As we talk about major oil companies being the biggest players in the world versus tech uh, that uh, had not quite busted into the top ranks and a slight switching or changing of the guard here, perhaps symbolic of this music that we've seen where commodities very much back in play around these inflation concerns and the, the higher interest rate environment negative for technology fortunes. So let's just take a look at the WTI and Brent price on that note. We are cooling off morning trade, but we did have a lot of action in the trade yesterday. You saw in the energy basket, which was the best performer stateside, also in the commodity prices. And you can see as we give back one odd percent on WTI and Brent, it's from these higher ranges. So at 106.16 on Brent this morning. The Asian markets, 
Uh, there's been a lot of movement too on the dollar, the strength we've again witnessed around uh, the monetary setting that we're again chasing this high rate stateside and that has uh, taken a, a little bit of a shine off these markets too. You can see the dent on the, the Japanese market, 1.4% down intervention by authorities to try and stem the tide of the dollar too in Hong Kong, 1.2% down on the Hong Kong market, Shanghai moving into the green and you can see Australia not supported by the commodity story. It is also losing territory today. So week old session playing out, Jeff. Karen, thank you very much indeed for that. Attention now turning to the producer price index later today as markets continue to look for signs of peak US inflation. So why did the market sell off here? Because we discussed, Karen, uh, you and I both, I think, just then, the narrative from the Federal Reserve and many of the Fed speakers hasn't changed. There are those talking about the need for a 50 basis uh, point move here and potentially three, four, five, six... 50 basis point moves. So we know that the messaging from the Fed remains the same here. Are the markets ultimately now being spooked by uh, the very things that the Fed argues justify it moving faster? The fact that we've got a strong labor market still. And if you look at household spending in the United States, it's remained relatively robust here. The problem, um, I would suggest, is that it has remained probably rather too robust If you look at the uh, level of household debt now in the United States, it's nearly a record $16 trillion. And whilst the Fed is hoping that it can perform a soft landing, it can lift the policy rate here without tightening financial conditions too much, those financial conditions are already tightening in reality. So we've got consumer credit card debt now at $841 billion for the first quarter of the year. The annual percentage rate or the APR that you're paying on that has risen to 16% on average. So even if policy rates here are still, what, around 1% or so in the United States, in reality, anybody that's using a credit card and carrying their balances is paying 16%. And if you want a 30-year fixed mortgage, the golden lock-in, for 30 years in the States, that will now cost you in excess of 5%, 5.57% now the rate here. Again, that's a long way higher than 1%. So anybody looking at the markets and asking themselves, are these earning, earnings projections actually going to come good? must keep a weathered eye on this level of debt and this rise in real rates that many people are going to have to pay. I think it's a good point and you can see why consumer discretionary was one of the weaker areas of the market yesterday uh, as investors question just how stretched the consumer will be and just what those pandemic savings really look like. There's been plenty of opportunities to whittle that down over recent months and now just the higher increases in everything that you pay for, that starts to, to really hit the consumer wallet at some point. But I want to come back to the numbers because I looked at the headline too and thought, this market reaction is very strong given the headline number is not too far off but I think if you just look into the detail a bit more there were elements here where you could see that market reaction what it was down to I mean if you strip out the volatile items food and energy the monthly rise in core CPI that 0.6 of a percent last month that was higher than the 0.3% month earlier in March. So we're seeing an increase here in some of the core items. And I, I think it was anticipated in some ways that you'd see shelter go up because of the double-digit increases in rental uh, prices. But that is still a huge cost for the consumer that that's now getting embedded. But two in services, 
you saw what people are paying for on average away from some of these pandemic effects that you now have entrenched increases in services prices. So I think it was the elements here that it's not cooling off. It's not just the energy price. And if you, you know, fix a few issues around what you're seeing on the commodity side, that you'll correct everything else. That's just not the case if you look at the underlying data yesterday. We've got to wrap up the conversation, but keep your eye on some of the other parts of the world where the impact of these high interest rates is beginning to be felt. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority intervening for the first time since 2019. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go forward. Also, Siemens confirming its outlook for the full year despite winding down its industrial business in Russia. The CEO coming up in just a moment. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back, everybody. Siemens has confirmed its outlook for the full year despite a decision to wind down its industrial business in Russia. Aneta caught up with the CEO and asked for the outlook on the quarter. I have to say that our Q2 shows again a very strong operation performance and we confirm the outlook for the full year despite challenging times. We decided to wind down our industrial business in Russia. And this had a bottom line impact on our net income of 600 million and also an impact on our top line. So despite that, we are going to deliver, or we delivered in Q2, a 22% growth in order intake, a 7% uh, growth in revenue. Without Russia, it would have been nine. And we deliver a net income of 1.3 billion. So therefore, I would say it's a very, very strong performance. We also have a free cash flow of 1.3 billion in Q2. So therefore, we are quite happy. And uh, I have to say, really, it's a challenging environment indeed. Nevertheless, our team delivered. Uh, what are the biggest challenges if you um, say that, uh, you know, if, yeah, if what are the biggest challenges ahead for Siemens? I mean, I think uh, it's clear that we are looking very much closely to the COVID outbreak in China and the lockdowns. So this is something which didn't affect our Q2 too much. Uh, this will have an impact on our Q3. Uh, you know that Shanghai and Shenzhen, they are, uh, Shenzhen was, Shanghai is in a complete lockdown. They are opening up again. And we are looking very closely because it affects a couple of our manufacturing sites too. They are about to ramp up, but not on a full load yet. And then you have the related supply chain topics. So there's a lot of uh, bottleneck now in supply chain due to the lockdown. And this can impact not only our Shanghai operations and the deliveries, but really has a, could have an impact on, on the whole economy and actually on Siemens too. That's uh, our big, biggest concern if you look forward. Well, Annette also asked the CEO about the inflationary environment and how it's impacting the business. Inflation is another topic. Uh, so therefore, we have, we have uh, two dimensions. Number one is the commodities, the prices going up on the one side. 
We see also inflation in, in, in personal costs, so it's, uh, it's going up at the same time. And then, again, the other dimension is um, the, the topic of having uh, uh, more expensive logistics costs and, and the like. So uh, we are able to pass a part of that through via uh, pricing management. We do that carefully, not to impact our customers too much. But uh, all in all, if you take the inflation versus the pricing change, we do believe still that we are in, in the quarter, but also in the full year on a positive side. Um, energy security is a big topic nowadays here in Europe, especially looking at the high energy prices, but also potential disruption of gas supply from Russia. Um, how well prepared are you for an eventual scarcity of gas? So we are a non-energy intensive company. So our, you can see that from our CO2 footprint, our own footprint Scobonin 2, which is, which is uh, short of, of, of half a million tons. So therefore, uh, we do not see that it would impact us. But it has obviously secondary effects. If you have the energy intensive industry, uh, like uh, chemistry, like uh, steel um, or, or glass or whatever, um, if they are affected, of course, we are affected too. So we have secondary effect. We watch very closely. Um, in, if you look at Germany, uh, it's less uh, electricity. The, the prices all go, go up, but this is there. But uh, the gas, gas is the, the big white elephant in the room. Um, a shortage of gas supply can have a substantial impact on our industries. We watch it closely, but so far, as you know, um, we, we do have enough gas supply. So uh, the operations are up and running. Annette has been busy. She's also been speaking to Herbert Dies over at Volkswagen. Uh, the CEO has sought to clarify those recent comments when he called for a negotiated settlement between Russia and Ukraine to avoid damaging the German economy. You may recall that provoked a lot of heat uh, about uh, just what uh, this corporate was meaning in terms of putting its own profits first before the needs uh, and the livelihoods, the safety, the security of Ukraine. And of course, the foreign minister of Ukraine hit back. I thought it was quite stunning that the reaction was very strong against this. But Mario Draghi uh, over in Italy uh, effectively said the same thing as he was talking about some form of an outcome. Uh, it was just that because you've got a company here that uh, has been seen as being close to the Russians in the past, a relationship between uh, Dies and Putin, that it was condemned in many ways, that it was uh, profiteering or just trying to put companies' fortunes ahead of uh, an entire country. Uh, it's perder, isn't it? I mean, you, you cannot be seen to be associated with, at this point, it is very clear that the pressure is on to disinvest and disengage even though Russia has always represented a strong market because of the size of the population for car makers, manufacturers and those of uh, um, uh, discretionary uh, goods production. The challenge, uh, I think, for everybody at the moment is just how do you extricate yourself and maintain uh, reputational um, um, or prevent reputational damage, I should say, rather than uh, uh, worry about how to polish the image. Uh, and I think um, the Italians, as you point out, um, we're still looking for a middle way here because there is the issue of Italy's 40% reliance on Russian gas. Yeah, I think you're right to use the word challenge because 
what Dieser's comments may have uncovered really is a feeling across the various different parts of Europe and the business community about how they, they really feel, even if they are doing the right thing, saying the right thing around uh, Ukraine and sanctions, if they actually want a, a different outcome here and whether if down the track there is some form of a change in the narrative that we've got today, just how quickly those sanctions are rolled back and what the pressure is from the business community. I think that was a very interesting conversation. But speaking as uh, the car maker launched uh, a redesigned electric off-road vehicle, the Scout, Dies addressed that backlash in an interview with Aneta. It's just uh, a, dread, uh, a, a, a really a cruel experience. And, and also, I would say, within my life, I would not, not have expected that such, such a war would happen again in the midst of Europe. And I find it really hard to look at. And as this conflict is really getting worse by the time, no, and, and it's escalating instead of de-escalating, I really ask the politicians uh, set an end to it. And I'm, I, I would uh, appreciate, I appreciate every attempt to stop uh, Putin and to, to bring the war to an halt and, and get back to negotiations. I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, because I think your intervention was interpreted by some commentators as like you're putting your business interests first, but that doesn't sound like it. It sounds like that you you're interested in finding a peace. No, that's, that's not uh, that you can't you can't blame me for that because we were uh, Volkswagen were one of the first companies stopping our production and I uh, promoted or let's say I, I was always in favor of strong sanctions no right from the start uh, but uh, sanctions to get back to, to negotiations and not, not to, to let the war uh, continue. How likely do you think this is going to happen in the couple next couple of months? Because there are so many commentators who just don't see an end. No, I would say the the what 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 you read and hear. You no, know, everyone is now assuming that this will be an ongoing conflict for a long time, which I think is not a good perspective for the world. Dieser effectively admitting that he hoped the sanctions would have worked a little bit quicker and of course we're not seeing them really bite that much where it's causing Putin to change direction at this point. Uh, let's push on and take a look at shares in Disney which have slumped in after hours trade even as the company brushed off fears it could suffer a similar subscriber slump to Netflix across its streaming platforms. Instead, Disney added almost 8 million new subscribers in the last quarter. That was well ahead of projections. It also saw parks revenue more than double to 6.6 .6 billion dollars, even as its resorts in Hong Kong and Shanghai remain closed. However, Disney's CFO warned the company expects supply chain disruptions and cost pressures to increasingly weigh on performance in the second half of the year. Speaking on the investor call, Disney CEO Bob Chapek said he's not worried about rising costs, saying strong content will drive subscriptions and ultimately profit. We're very uh, uh, carefully watching our content growth, uh, uh, content cost growth. Uh, and uh, we reaffirmed, as you heard earlier, our uh, targets, uh, uh, our guidance on both subs and on profitability. So we think they move together. It's obviously a balancing act, but we believe that great content is going to drive our subs, and those subs then, in scale, will drive our profitability. So we don't see them as necessarily counter. We see them as uh, sort of consistent with the overall approach that we've laid out. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.